Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org. Bernadette Miles is co-director at the Cardia Formation and Training Program in Victoria, Australia. She trained in spiritual direction and theology after 20 years of computer consulting and business management, and has a special interest in formation of apostolic leadership and applying the concepts of Ignatian spirituality to organizational development. Bernie, as we know her, is a member of SDI's Coordinating Council. I spoke with her about doing the work of spiritual companionship virtually, about her story of how she came into spiritual companionship and how she came to SDI, and how this work of spiritual companionship helps us all as a society and as a planet. Bernie, thanks for joining me for this conversation. It's good to talk to you and it's good to talk with our coordinating council members whom I love and are always very fascinating. Not to put that pressure on you, but just saying. (laughs) Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here with you. Yeah. And you are in Australia and I'm in Seattle. And what part of Australia are you in specifically? I'm down in Melbourne, Victoria, down the bottom end of of Australia. Okay. And we're talking over Zoom uh, during the pandemic, but we were just reflecting on how this tool allows us some real efficiencies in regards to having opportunities to communicate and doing spiritual direction even over Zoom and doing our work over Zoom. I guess I'm just noticing it and kind of just offering a little bit of gratitude that we can talk in this way across oceans. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Life has changed considerably. We're we're back down in lockdown for at least six weeks again now, but they're Mm. also talking about extending that. So this is the world now, I think, especially in this work of accompaniment. Zoom has just really opened up ways for people to stay connected. It's so important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I've even found that I am hearing from old friends whom I haven't even seen in years and we're connecting over this technology that uh, like I actually am maybe more connected to people than I was before. Yeah, it is weird. Well, actually, I have a, a large family and we have a Friday night Zoom connection and part of my family in Singapore and across Queensland, all across Australia, all show up for this meeting that we would probably not even chat for years sometimes. So it is really interesting how the fabric of our society is changing because of this pandemic. Yeah, it is changing. And, you know, you and I were talking before we started here that accompaniment, spiritual companionship is having to shift really to these kinds of technologies. And you were reflecting that it would be an interesting dialogue to have with spiritual directors about how it's been going now that we're four months in to this pandemic, four or five months in. As kind of a check-in, some shared wisdom and some lived experience around Some of us have been using these tools for a while, but many of us haven't. And so now that we're here, what are we learning? Yeah, I would absolutely love to hear from our community as to what they've learned and how people are adapting. I mean, in our experience down here, what we found is that more people are coming for spiritual direction rather than less and that the conversations are really, really rich. 
So in some ways, our work has actually improved, which would really have been hard to predict. So I'd be curious as to what's happening out there with the rest of the spiritual direction community. Yeah, for sure. We should facilitate that somehow. Bernie, can you share a little bit about your own journey into spiritual direction? How did you begin? Where did you begin? How did you take an interest in this work? Yeah, it's a big story in a way. I knew nothing about spiritual direction. I hadn't even heard of spiritual accompaniment. And I had a young family with four teenage sons at the time. And I was a Sunday Catholic. I'd probably go to Mass most Sundays, you know, turn up. And we had a parish priest that was pretty stodgy and didn't really welcome too much participation. So it was just a kind of observance. You just turn up and go to church. And then the parish priest changed. And all of a sudden, it was like the doors had been opened and there was a fresh breath of air came through the whole of our parish. And he would be saying, so this is your parish. What do you want to do? And suddenly, things were stirring in me until one day in the middle of his homily he stopped and he looked at the cross and he said wasn't a very happy ending was it and something in me just snapped and I realized for all these years I'd been turning up to church as an insurance policy so if I go to mass on Sunday I'll get to heaven when I die and that there was much more to this than I had ever known. And it was deep within me. I'd always been searching for some sort of way to tap into my deep spirituality, but I had no idea that that was connected to the Catholic faith. I thought it would be, you know, crystals or meditation or new age or something like that. Anyhow, I had this crazy thing going on in my head. Oh, you've got a vocation. Go and follow this up. So I searched the internet and it was very clear for a Catholic that if you're a male, you could be a priest or a brother or a deacon. And if you're a woman, you could be a nun or you could be married or single. And that was all there was to vocation. And so I sat back and said, oh, good, I've done it. I've got my vocation. I'm married and I've got children and I'll settle for that. But it wouldn't go away. And I was actually felt a little like I was going crazy. So... It was just at the beginning of 2000, I saw this two-line little advertising in our parish newsletter. The Campion Centre of Ignatian Spirituality brochure is out now for 2000. And I thought, oh, I might just check that out and see what that is. And I looked it up online. I thought, oh, no, this is too much about God. This is too much for me. But I still Mm. felt that I needed to do something. So I sent an email and I said, I'm just curious about what you might have to offer. I'm married and I've got a young family, so maybe an afternoon or a day would be good. Anyhow, I got a letter back from the then director who said, what about the spiritual exercises? And I said, what what are the spiritual exercises? I'd never heard of them. You can make them in 30 days as an enclosed retreat or as 35-week retreat in daily life. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. I asked for a day and you're asking me to do a year, basically. But I knew. I knew that that was what I wanted to do. So I said yes. I had no idea what they were about and I wasn't even really praying at the time. So I just dived straight in the deep end. And I remember coming back from my first spiritual direction session and walking out of there and going, no one has ever listened to me. I've never spoken like that before in my life. This is amazing. I'd love to do this work, but clearly I couldn't do this work because I'm married and only nuns and priests do this, is what I thought at the time. Anyhow, halfway through my training, my exercises, my director said to me, would you think of training to do this? And I said, well, I could think of nothing I'd love to do more. So after I finished, I joined their training program at the time, which was called the Arupe Program. 
And I also did another full-time training course in spiritual direction with another centre in Australia. And my work began. So it was kind of like from nowhere, I just fell into it. And I now work full-time as a spiritual director and have done so for the past 18, 20 years. So yeah, it's great. That's wonderful. There's so much there I would love to hear from you about. The parish priest who pointed to the cross and said, that wasn't a very happy ending, was it? What was that moment? Could you explain that a little more deeply? What was he referring to and why did that spark such a reaction? I can only just say it was a direct inbreaking of God for me. It was like I felt like an electric shock go through my body and suddenly I just knew that this person was real. This person of Jesus actually walked the earth. He's not a story that we've been telling for 2,000 years. He was actually real. And I'd been treating it as though this was just an accessory in my life. But somehow just coming to know that uh, there's more to my faith and there always has been than turning up, just turning up, yeah. So when I first began the exercises, the invitation is to pray for an hour a day and to meditate on particular pieces of scripture. And what I discovered very quickly that I could actually have a personal relationship with God. And I had no idea about that until this point in my life. So it was something around that, that something about realizing that spirituality is real. It's tangible and it can be central. And so that's what changed for me, I think. I remember discovering that for myself too, similar understanding that spirituality is real. It's not abstract. It's not unknowable. It's in the very material of our everyday lives. I know a lot of people in our community know about Ignatian spirituality, but can you give a little summary of what the Ignatian exercises are about and what they are intended to do? Yeah. I remember when I first applied, the person who I was talking to said that they'll be life-changing. And I thought, okay, (laughs) do I really want my life to change? (laughs) They really, I mean, I've given the exercises so many times now and I haven't had a single person whose whole life hasn't been transformed through the process. It's about coming to know who you really are in light of your relationship with God. So it evolved from the experience of Ignatius of Loyola 500 years ago. And really what he did was he spent a long time really pondering his own interior movements and he started to notice that some movements take him towards hope, love, freedom, peace, joy and other movements take him into destruction, fear, lack of faith, lack of hope and that he actually had a choice about which movement he followed. So he actually uncovered a process which we now know as discernment. And what happened to him was when he first discovered these movements, he decided to put down all his life, his money, and go and serve God for the rest of his life. But he turns up in Manresa and suddenly he's just plagued with his scruples, okay? So he's sitting in this cave for months just agonising over the scruples that he couldn't get rid of. And in that process, he wrote the spiritual exercises. And what he discovered was four clear movements. The first movement is, do I really believe I'm loved by God? So that's in the first week of the exercises. Because if I believe I'm loved, really loved by God, and I can love myself and love others, then my life will move in a particular direction towards love instead of fear and disintegration and lack of hope and lack of faith. 
The second movement is to pray through the life of Jesus Christ. So you, you go from his birth right through to the passion. And in that process, he also embeds several exercises which help you to become to know how you make choices, what influences your decision-making, what are the things in your life story that hook you in to making choices that are not good for you. And if they're not good for you, they're not going to be good for anyone. And whether or not you actually want to serve the kingdom of God or the deeper story of all creation, really. When you get to the end of that process of understanding how you make choices and your own decision-making processes, then you pay through the passion of Christ. And so the question is then, can I still say yes, even if the cost is high? And then you pray through the resurrection. So can I still say yes in this place of new life? So it's kind of like reorientating your life towards serving what is life-giving instead of what is life-depleting. You know, the question I often ask my directees is, what makes your heart sing? Really? I think we don't very often choose the things that make our heart sing. Yeah. The way that you describe it, it's these exercises, almost like each one is a proposition, almost like an if-then statement. Like, if God loves you, then how do you respond in your life? Have you found, I don't mean to be super dark here, but do people ever like decide at that point, like, no, I don't believe this, or I don't know that I am loved? And I'm just curious. I think most people have some underlying disbelief that they really are lovable. And so it's not, yes, I'm lovable, good, I can move on. It's like, what stops me from believing that? What is it in my own story that Mm. keeps me thinking that I'm not worthy of love? And so Mm. we work with that and we help people come to know, actually, you are lovable. Um, You're not perfect and that's not the point. God's not asking us to be perfect. God's asking us to be loving. Mm, That's beautiful. So when you did it, you did it as the 35 weeks, right? Is that right? Okay. And you spent an hour a day doing the exercises, right? Spend an hour a day praying through the exercises, you journal, and you also do what's called an examine prayer at the end of each day, which is to stop at the end of the day and just put your attention back towards God and notice what in your day you're grateful for today. What's happened today that you're really grateful for and sit in that gratitude and then notice anything that you're not so grateful for, you know, what movements were not life-giving and not to change them but just to become more aware of the pattern of gratitude and disintegration in your life and then look to tomorrow to say, what strengths do I need for tomorrow? I think that process of the exercises and the process in Ignatian spirituality is all about raising consciousness. Can I become more conscious of who I am and how I operate in the world in light of my relationship with God? That's beautiful. And so that, it sounds like this Ignatian practice is a lot of the framework that you offer as a spiritual director to others. Yeah. 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 My work now is probably less connected to the institutional church. It's spiritual rather than religious, if that makes any sense to you. So though I still use the language of Christianity, I believe that it's the same across all humanity have this desire to be freed from what stops us from living fully. And so I love the definition that John Fowles gives of God in his book, The French Lieutenant's Woman, where he says, God is the freedom that allows all other freedoms to exist. And that would be the basis of my ministry. How can I help people to discover that? Because where we limit another person's freedom, there's no life in that. Yeah, that's interesting. This is not the first time today that the word freedom has come up for me in a conversation around spiritual direction. And someone was saying that 
One of the operative tenets of spiritual companionship is to invite people into discerning where they experience that freedom in their lives, finding areas of freedom for themselves in their everyday. It's really interesting. And I mean, especially, I think we are in such a massive turning point in the history of evolution. Like this is no small synchronicity of collision of events right now. You know, our economic systems are being dismantled. Our political systems are ridiculous. It's ridiculous almost everywhere. We've had in Australia massive bushfires and weather patterns that are unpredictable. So we've got this climate change crisis that we can't ignore here. It's so obvious that our weather patterns are different to what they were 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. We've had terrible droughts. And then we have this pandemic all colliding at the same time. And um, it seems to me, and I've been talking about this for 10 years at least, we have a chance now to become a different kind of humanity, a different kind of interconnected creation. And spiritual direction can help that transition so much if we just trust, if we just open ourselves to the process of becoming conscious of how I participate in what is not life-giving, what limits freedom. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I hope for that too. This is definitely a fraught moment in history. And like you said, there's so much going on. And, you know, here in the US, we have a racism issue that is there are uprisings around and a long history of racial injustice that we have not dealt with on top of a pandemic and on top of climate change and everything else. I think on one level, it feels like a lot, like, wow, there's a lot going on that is disruptive. I am finding, too, that if I pause, like, I can be hopeful, too, that it does feel like this is a paradigm shift, that there's no going back to the old ways of perpetuating these injustices or ignoring them. Like, here they all are. laid bare for us to see. And yeah, it does make me sort of hopeful. Like it's almost like pulling the bandaid off analogy, right? Like it's going to be painful and spiritual direction can help us accompany people as they experience that pain and that discomforts in the ways that we used to do life and discover the liberation that comes with leaving that behind and working towards healing. Yeah, in many ways, the scales are falling from our eyes. We're seeing in a way that we've never seen truth before. You know, our patriarchal systems that have limited people's potential to flourish so that a few can flourish. And, you know, I'm just thinking about, I think it's Ilya Dillio that I first heard this. I'm not sure, but Mm. that we're starting to understand, I think this would come from Tyler Chardin's writing, that the purpose of evolution, the purpose of creation is actually the growing of consciousness rather than the growing of matter if that makes any sense. And so at this point in history of creation, creation is conscious of its own evolution. Mm. We are the consciousness coming into fullness. And I think that's really interesting to ponder. So if we attend to our consciousness and our spirituality and the centre of who we are, we really serve in creation in a way that I think is intended. Mm. To become conscious of how we live is really a new thing.
We at SDI are so excited to announce an unprecedented virtual conference for April 2021, which we are calling Renaissance, the meaning of the word being rebirth. This conference is going to be a gigantic sandbox for spiritual companionship and contemplative community. There's no travel cost, no hotel or meal expenses. Attend from your home, participate from anywhere around the world, live or on demand. This promises to be the biggest and most extensive gathering of spiritual companions in SDI's history. Registrations for SDI Renaissance 2021 are now open. Everyone is welcome to attend and be nourished by this conference. Go to sdicompanions.org for the details and registration options. I think that collective consciousness that you just named, I think that can be claimed. I feel like it's still up in the air whether that collective consciousness is one of compassion and service and love and interconnectedness. I hope that we are moving closer to that. I wish I could say that I, I believe it's a foregone conclusion that we get there. How do you feel about that? Do you well, think- I think we have to work at getting there. I don't think there's any foregone conclusion. It's a war in a way. It's a war in fighting for it. We have to fight for that direction towards interconnectedness and purpose and love. It's not a given. But, you know, that's where I think faith has always been an important part of humanity. We've always had a group that hold that sense of purpose in something bigger than us as part of our society. And that's where the hope is. That's where the hope lies, in the middle of a belief that we are more than just what we see. What that is, I've no idea. <laughs> There's some really interesting reading that links quantum science and religion together. There's a book I read called The Physics of God, and it really demonstrates that spirituality has been on the right track all along, all along. Yeah. Brother Wayne Teasdale wrote about this too and his I can't remember the name of the book. It was very formative for me. A similar thing that the consciousness of God is so apparent in the way that the universe works and the ways we understand physics and the ways that we don't understand physics, the ways that our rational minds sort of fall apart. And yet still like this very clear spark of the divine that is apparent in everything and everything. Absolutely everything. This is fun. I like talking with you. I'm feeling inspired. (laughs) (laughs) Good day. Will I ask you, how did you discover SDI? Ah, yeah. How did I? I think I'd known about SDI for a while and we worked with the Jesuits for many years and I was the director of one of their retreat centres down here. And I think as part of my role there, I thought it was important that I become part of SDI, part of something bigger. Hmm. And it wasn't long after I joined that we had the Parliament of Religions, World Religions here in Australia. And Liz had organised for SDI to have a booth there where we would offer spiritual direction and some spiritual experiences. And so I was invited to be part of that, which was fantastic. So it was really nice to get a close connection with SDI quite early. I can't remember when that was. And presence, of course. Presence is the other thing that we really value here in Australia. Mm. People love getting that editorial. It's a really good piece of work. But we haven't had much access to SDI until now where everything's online. Mm. So here in Australia, this is just brilliant for us. It's pretty hard to get to conferences in the States. It's a long flight. It's about 20 hours for me to fly from Melbourne. And I usually leave home at nine in the morning and get to Los Angeles at about 10 in the morning the same day. So the time change is really huge. Yeah, it's good. 
And you serve on the coordinating council too. And so that requires at least twice a year, you have to travel here to North America for a conference and a council retreat. And I'm always so impressed that you make that trip. And it, it sounds so exhausting. I've never done it. How did you discern that call to serve on the coordinating council? really interesting because it had never crossed my mind that I would even think about joining the coordinating council. Now I've just completed my first three-year term and I've agreed to take on a second three-year term. But when I saw it advertised three years ago that they were calling for nominations, something in me just said, I think you can contribute to that. I think this is your turn to apply. I never imagined that I would be accepted because, you know, it's a lot to have an Australian actually fly over for all those conferences. It's an expense to SDI as well. But there was something in me that said, this is the right time to contribute. And I am passionate about this industry. I think it has so much to offer the world. And I really believe that one of my special interests is in developing spiritual direction into a more professional model where it's respected in the same way as psychotherapy and psychology and counselling because it offers something quite unique to those professions. So I completed my PhD not that long ago on integrating spirituality into leadership and organisational development. So when I thought about coming on the council, I thought, you know, I really want to contribute to an organisation that can help build this work into something that's bigger and more recognisable in the world. And with Seifu, who had not long been made the executive director, there was change happening, it was exciting and there's possibility. So it seemed right, it seemed right to be part of those conversations. And the conversations we have on the council, they're hard. We really grapple with the change and really which direction SDI is going. So it feels like good work. It feels like really good work. Yeah. You all have at heart a desire for this community to grow and to flourish. And so I imagine that those hard conversations, they feel to you worthwhile, worth having, and that you all have similar goals in mind. It's been really rich for me because I've been exposed to such diversity by being on the council. And it's one of the things that's really quite beautiful that we have such a diverse group of people grappling with what is this ministry? Where is this work going? And how can we recognise it in all faith traditions? And how can we not hold on to our small piece of the world or the piece of the ministry and grow our understanding of what this ministry can bring to creation. So, you know, we've got such a great group of people on that council from different traditions and different parts of the world. It's a great privilege to be part of that group. Mm. And great for me to bring that back to Australia as well. I feel really like it's been, we've got a symposium happening in a few weeks' time and it's so wonderful to know the SDI is able to do that kind of work so far away from its main base. It's really great. Yeah. Are you working directly on any of those? I'm presenting something at one of them. That's Kristen Hobby is the one who's yeah. yeah. such a great work for us. Yes. Grateful to Kristen for pulling all that together and the in-person symposium that she did last summer. Yeah. 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 So it's good. You know, we're always discerning how do we empower people where they are, you know, communities that are far flung or they're far flung from our office, right? To be SDI, to be the community where they're at. And these symposia are a good experience, I think, for us. 
the focus of the symposium is around research in spiritual direction, which I think is going to be fantastic to hear what's happening. And one of the things that we're doing at the moment is we've actually secured some good funding to do research on how spiritual direction can support teachers and leaders in the education system here. One of the real problems we've got here is that so many early career teachers pull out because of their lack of support and lack of capacity to continue the work. It's quite stressful entering into the school system. There's not a lot of support systems around it. And so we're asking the question, can spiritual direction support teacher identity, resilience and longevity? So, you know, there's some interesting pieces of work starting to emerge in the research area here in Australia. So it'll be Mm. great what comes out of that symposia, what else people are thinking about and working on. Yeah, well, I'm interested to hear, and I don't want to keep you too long, but this question of how do we mainstream spiritual companionship? You know, you mentioned making it as common and as sought as a mental health profession, you know, as psychotherapy and others. And what are the ways that we do that? I mean, you mentioned it, you're you're talking about working with teachers and developing resiliency. And do you have any sense of how we do this? It's something that I think about a lot. First of all, we have to value it. You know, we have to really value the work that we're doing. And it's very difficult because when this work has come out of a religious tradition, everything should cost nothing. So it's really difficult to change that mindset to say, well, no, this actually costs to provide. And so therefore it should be of the same value as if you went to a therapist. I mean, I have a PhD in this area. Most people I know have studied to the level of a master's degree in order to do this work. So it's a really well-formed profession in this way. And then the second thing is to understand that one of the things that came out of my research was that a person's deepest sense of identity is shaped by their, their image of God, totally dictates who they become in the world. So if they believe God is a taskmaster who wants you to work hard, they will work hard and they will drive other people to work hard and they will create chaos. But if you really believe that God is a loving God and that God wants you to flourish, then you'll be someone who will be generative and creative and help others to flourish. Now, what kind of organisation couldn't do with that kind of support? That's my question. How do we get that out there? This isn't just about me and my personal story and my faith story. This is about who I am in the world. And that flows through every part of my life system, my family, my work, my community. It's a very different model of thinking, I think. And I think we're ready for it. I think the world is ready for it. But I also think that one of the main things is what SDI is doing really well is getting it out there, creating opportunities for people to experience spirituality and spiritual direction. So once people start experiencing it outside of just a religious setting, I think we can open up something really exciting. Yeah, a big part of my work is convincing people that like, hey, this is something everybody should do. This is not just for people who go to church. This is, you know, for anybody who is discerning meaning for themselves, you know, like what is theirs to do in the world? How do you understand, you know, your relationship to your neighbors and your kids and your coworkers and everything else? Yeah, so it's a big deal for me. I have a big heart for it and I hear that you do too. So I hope that SDI is playing a role in that. And, you know, I think you're making a strong case to be part of an organization like SDI as a spiritual companion to amplify the work. It's interesting here in Australia because we've just had really big Royal Commission into institutional child sexual abuse. 
And so our religious systems are crumbling. They're really crumbling. They're under a lot of pressure. This COVID-19 has increased that pressure because no one can go to church at the moment. It's not possible. And so to me, it's really critical that we don't lose the kernel of what our faith systems brought into this space and that we generate more love, which is what it's supposed to be all about, isn't it? So how do we foster the new generations into knowing that there is more to life, that there is hope, that there is love, that there is a God of some sort, whatever language you choose to use for that. And so, you know, I think we've got a responsibility to find ways in encouraging that to grow. Mm -hmm. I love that language around the kernel that brought us into these spaces. I just Mm -hmm. curiously wrote it down because I didn't want to forget it because that just really resonates with me. You're framing it as a, an opportunity for creativity and reimagining what is spiritual community? What is at the heart of why we gather as friends, you know? I think you'll get this, Matt. Spiritual direction releases creativity. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I get it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Bernie, is there anything else that you would like to share that I haven't asked you about? I think I might have said more than enough. (laughs) Not at all. This has been so fun. This is a rich conversation. I love talking to you and I love hearing about the things you're working on and thinking about and just grateful for your time. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. It's been great having this time with you as well. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word, about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.